and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Good afternoon. How are you? I am very well. Two weekends in a row. I'm very happy on a Monday. It doesn't often happen. Um, yeah, what about you? Yeah, good, good. Very good weekend. Very good weekend of football and... I'm feeling quite upbeat today. It may well be Blue Monday, but I'd say the weekend's action was red hot, baby. It was red weekend. It was indeed, and what a cracking weekend we've had as well. Goals galore, action at the top of the league, although standings remain the same, whereas down the bottom we've seen some movement in the bottom three, just above them too. And it, it could have been different too, were it not for a little bit of luck, not going a, a few teams away and... We start with arguably the unluckiest of the lot, Crystal Palace, who were involved in a thriller at Anfield, which saw them go down 4-3. It's just quite fun, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was a load of fun. I really enjoyed it. I think you you look at the Premier League as a spectacle, and two of the, the games on Saturday, and we'll come on and talk about Leicester Wolves in a second, but to have 14 goals between two games yeah. is pretty special. And it was just a, a great game of football from start to finish. The... The narrative exploded when Andros Townsend scored the opener, and I think every Manchester City fan in the country started celebrating. Um, and you kind of knew at that point that wasn't going to be the final goal, didn't you? Yeah, you did. And I think, uh, to be honest, the game I think showed us quite a lot about both sides. And I think Liverpool in particular, I think naturally you look into it a little bit deeper with them, and you know they 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 can be got at. It's fair to say, three goals conceded in one home game, and it's as many as they've conceded all season at Anfield, and. You have to look at the amount of luck they got. Certainly, the two goals from Mo Salah as well. Yeah, I, I mean, the I think I think the first finish is a very good finish. I, I I don't think that you can take too much away from it. Virgil Van Dijk had a speculative shot, and to to be able to control a volley that well when the ball's dropping from from such height yep. and it's kind of over your shoulder as well with your wrong foot is pretty impressive. So I, I think that there was absolutely luck involved, but he still took it very well. The second one. I'm not really sure what Julian Speroni's doing. I think he I don't even now how it's gone backwards. Well, I, I I I don't know whether it's just the spin on the ball from the cross or it was just a really really strange decision from the goalkeeper to to kind of try and pat it up and then presumably he was going to catch it and just ended up fumbling it and fortunately for him it didn't go over the line and Salah was able to get that touch. But Liverpool created a lot in this game. I, I think that there were obviously seven goals but they they created a boatload of chances and Crystal Palace to be fair went toe to toe with them we spoke a couple of weeks ago on the pod how they'd kind of come out of their shells a little bit and stopped being ultra defensive especially away from home we saw that in their approach against Manchester City recently and it's only really the home games where they've struggled to break teams down and they have this little bit of freedom when they go away to bigger places they've got players in Zahar in Townsend who can cause problems and and who can stretch defences who, who aren't necessarily used to it and I think a lot of that was down to the fact that Liverpool were missing uh, a few players particularly Trent Alexander-Arnold I know that there was a bit of talk before the game that he could have actually been fit for this one having been presumably ruled out for four weeks or yep. something the week before um, and, and I think they missed him massively James Milner as much as he slots in there and does a job he did leave quite a few gaps and, and it was one of those gaps that was exploited for the first goal and, and you kind of thought that Zaha was going to have a field day from now on in. Well, that's it, Zaha back amongst the assists. It's the uh, first time involved in a goal in 14 games. And, uh, you know, Andros Townsend as well, fourth of the season, equals his best goal tally in a season with half a season to go. And I think that just shows, doesn't it, that they they are in kind of buoyant mood at the moment. And I think the the point we made last week was that 
they're very much just playing to their strengths now. They're getting it wide. They've got a lot of pace down the wings, and as you've just said, that very much played into their hands this weekend against a, a, a makeshift back four somewhat of, of Liverpool as well. And, yeah, you, you know, you have to give them huge credit because they are a little bit of a bogey team for Liverpool over the last few years. And I think, you know, this was a very important game for Crystal Palace in the sense that anything can get some massive bonus. But equally, I think if you look at it from the other side of it, Liverpool have to keep winning now and they and you know at home against an expectant crowd against the side they should be beaten on paper made it very very tough for themselves at times and I don't know what your opinion is of this but I, I kind of get frustrated when teams go away to to the so-called top four top six and they just set up to try not to lose the game by many goals and Crystal Palace have shown in recent weeks that if you go to the bigger grounds and you actually have a go you you've got real potential to get something and I just wonder whether more teams will have that approach against Liverpool between now and the end of the season knowing the nerves that are going to come into play given the 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 position that they find themselves in possibly I think maybe the difference of Crystal Palace is they've got the players to go and play in that manner as well I think if you look at someone like Huddersfield for instance just as an example they don't necessarily possess a squad that's blessed with great pace great attacking prowess and you know to be fair Crystal Palace at the minute don't really have a central striker but what they do have is creativity in the final third and they will put teams under pressure from you know in their own final third and I think that's a crucial thing whereas I think Huddersfield setting up with a kind of five four one type formation there's only so much pressure you can put on on those defenders when they're picking the ball up from the goalkeeper for instance yeah I, I suppose for me it's the it's the teams who are outside that relegation zone the teams who don't necessarily have anything to play for between now and the end of the season why not just go and have a go the, the, yeah, yeah, the likes absolutely. of Brighton Leicester Everton teams who can go away to these places and, and just kind of think we, we haven't got a massive amount to lose if, if our goal difference takes a hit we're not going to go down and there's nothing really embarrassing in getting hit by four or five goals by one of these sides because they do it so often these days so just 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 go there and, and, and actually maybe try out a different formation try out some different tactics and try and put the bigger sides under pressure because we saw early on in the Premier League season that there was such a big gap between the top six and the rest of the sides and it does seem to be that, that in recent weeks, more of the sides outside the so-called top six have, have been challenging those above them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, we have to look at Liverpool. It's a huge win. And like Brighton last week, very important win. And a, another different way of winning as well. Last week was a mature performance. This week, you could argue, was an immature performance. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, they'll look at this tough run with, with the injuries they've had and now suspensions contend with after Milner's red card and... You know, assuming they continue to come out the other side, they'll view it as a pivotal point of the season. I think, especially when you look at Manchester City swatting teams aside with relative ease. And I'm going to ask you the question that Gary Lineker asked Danny Murphy on Match of the Day on Saturday night. Do you think Liverpool will win the league now? How many games have we got left? 15 to go. And a four-point lead, as it stands. And I think when they were talking about this over the weekend, they've only got... Manchester United, Everton and possibly Arsenal to play out of the top six? I think they might struggle against the, the lower teams, like you've just said, you know, there's teams that can get at them and, and beat them and I think I still think City have probably got more quality and more experience of this. So for me, certainly you know, ask me another five games time, but I'll go for Manchester City still. See, yeah, well, I'm I'm the same. I'm still still of the opinion that City are gonna win the league, but Every time I say it, I'm running out of games to be proved right. <laughs> and every time Liverpool go into a weekend fixture and win a game, it just kind of feels like the inevitable is going to happen and, and, and they are just going to go on and win it. And but 
if if that gap goes to one, that is huge. Then you know that that's pressure on both of them to win every single week, and you know I think there's as much pressure on both of them as well when it gets to that point. So I think that's when we see that experience possibly come through. That's right, and the fact that Manchester City are obviously still performing on four fronts versus Liverpool only on two, and that could definitely come into play. Yep. You, you you look at the injuries that Liverpool have had recently today on Lovren, Trent Alexander-Arnold. And we did talk about the defence. We said if you take Trent Alexander-Arnold or Andy Robinson, uh, Robertson sorry, out of that side, then the likelihood of shipping goals from, from wide positions is going to increase. And we saw just that on Saturday. Absolutely. Well, another interesting tie at the, the top end of the league was Arsenal 2, Chelsea 0. And I think the question mark was which Arsenal were we going to get this weekend? And it turns out the one we got at the start of the season was pretty much where we were. And... I thought they were fantastic, and for the first time in a long time, they were superb from the word go as well. A first half performance where you know they were possibly as good as they've been all season. They were, you're right, and they created a lot of chances. They pressed high, and they they looked to be on the front foot from the start. And I, I think it was clear that they'd had um, a real drilling in terms of how to deal with Chelsea, and, and they, they didn't allow them time on the ball. We've seen a lot in recent weeks that as soon as the ball is, is, is given to one of the Chelsea defenders, whether it be David Luiz and, and Rudiger, to be fair to him, played some really good balls in this game um, as well. But they've had the chance to do it. They've had time to get the foot on the ball to see one of the runs that have been made by the forward players. And it it's really too easy for them. And Arsenal yep. just didn't give them any of that time. It was a it was an interesting move to start Aaron Ramsey in this game. And, and to be honest with you, I think it probably paid off because he did a lot of the work in there that if you asked somebody like... Meza Ozil to go in and do you're probably not going to get that work rate and and I think it just set the tone for what ended up being a brilliant first half performance their fans must be scratching their heads mustn't they because he was probably the best player on the pitch or certainly one of the best players on the pitch on Saturday and I think you know he's uh, I, I don't know whether the move has the move been fully agreed now he's, I think uh, so I don't, yeah I don't think there's certainly not a way back is there I so. don't think there's any official announcement that's been made I think that it's one of these things where you have an agreement with a club on yep. the continent and it will probably be announced at the end of the season, but I think the the powers that be have spoken and said that, that he signed a four-year contract on a on a decent whack of money. And it's just, from an Arsenal fan's point of view, you don't mind players leaving the club if they're going to a better club. And you would argue that Juventus are a, a much bigger club yeah. than Arsenal at this stage and um, have consistently won a lot over the past few years. So you don't mind a player going to try and realise their, amb- their ambitions of winning trophies. What you do get annoyed about is the fact that you're going to get no money for that player now Aaron Ramsey's been at Arsenal a lot of years they've developed him they've they've brought him through as not a youth team player because he went through that at Cardiff but actually he was incredibly young when he got to the Emirates and his football and development has been all down to the coaches and and and, and the manager at that side so to get no money for that at the end yep, of it yeah, yeah. and not be able to reinvest into your squad is incredibly frustrating and like you say, a performance like that on Saturday, you just wonder what could have been if, if positive talks were had earlier on in the season. Absolutely. And, you know, he epitomised the, the and, and what you've said as well, the hard work. And, you know, it's the most distance they've covered in five or six years and three of the top four distances in that period since Emery's come in as well. So that shows the, the work rate that he's demanding from his team. And I think probably bigger than anything in terms of takeaways from the game was the Arsenal defence. They kept a clean sheet and you know for the majority of the game I'd say they were controlled strong and dominant I thought Socrates was was brilliant as well as Koscielny Koscielny needs to get his fitness up and running but I think while he's in there he's, he's obviously got that experience and that steady head that you need there and I think maybe the only question mark and we'll come on to this now is the fact that 
they were arguably playing against no strikers whatsoever. And that's the problem, isn't it? From a Chelsea point of view, we've talked about in recent weeks, they're toothless going forward. And the problem that you've got not having a striker up there who's who's able to contribute is that you almost end up losing two players within a side. If you put either Giroud or Morata in there, then neither of those two have been able to, to, to impact or affect games in recent weeks. And therefore, you, you're essentially playing without a striker up there. And by them moving Hazard into the false nine position, you're losing any creativity in that midfield. And I think it all stems from the lack of organisation with Jorginho and N'Golo Kante. By putting N'Golo Kante back where he belongs, at the at, at the base of the midfield, playing just in front of the back four, back five, gives the players in front of him more of an opportunity to, to, to get forward. And at the moment, there were I mean, there were times on Saturday during that game where Kante was the furthest forward and yeah, he was stood in the yeah. box and... Marcus Alonso had the ball a couple of times out on the left-hand side in the first half, and you saw him look up. He looked up twice, and the only person in the box was was Kante. And you're not going to put a cross in there when you've got six foot two, six foot three defenders versus somebody who's about five foot six. It just doesn't make sense. And, and I think importantly as well, you can tell that that's kind of sapping the confidence from them as well. You know, for all the hard work, they get to the end, they look up, and there's just nothing there at all. And I, I think you know we've seen in recent weeks, and we've spoken about it, that Chelsea have been a little bit lacklustre. They've stumbled their way through games and. I think this defeat's probably been coming. You know, they face someone with real quality, and I, I don't think they've been great since I think it was probably Spurs in the end of November, was it? The yeah, start of December, right. yeah. and you know they've they've managed to still keep themselves in touch and distance and in the Champions League places. But I think since then they've just been sapped of any confidence, and and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Assuming Higuain comes in. Might not be the best moves in in terms of personnel. You know, he's not uh, he's not a spring chicken by any means, and he's he's not the quickest. But he's probably a little bit more clinical than than Giroud and, and maybe Morata as well. And I think what having a striker in there will do, almost regardless of who it is, will make the players around them better. And I think that's probably key for Chelsea at the minute. And that's it. They need to start scoring goals because the the confidence, like you say, that was there for the first 15 games of the season, yep. I think it was, that they were unbeaten for, has just disappeared altogether. And you can see that from, from back to front. I think it's um, it's a long time since they've looked comfortable in a game and, and, and sort of won it at a canter. They keep coming up against these sides in the top six and being beaten quite comfortably. And that's the most disappointing thing. We need to get on to the discussion that Sarri had with the press after the game because obviously he made his feelings very clear that he wouldn't take this as a as a performance level. He he said that the motivation of his players to perform against a side like Arsenal wasn't where it needed to be and I I'm not convinced that's the best thing to do. I think it's probably a better idea to just have that conversation in private because straight away if you dig your players out in front of the, the, the media then they're going to begin to form a little bit of an agenda about what they like and what they don't like about you tactically and I, I, I look at that group and, and I look at the personalities in terms of the managers that have gone in there, the likes of Antonio Conte, Jose Mourinho now they, they're, they're managers who before going into Chelsea wouldn't really have settled for any yep. any sort of issues from their players and, and actually they've been out on their ears because of what's gone in, on inside the dressing room the nucleus of players at Chelsea has been the same for quite a while now and uh, I think you get to a stage where you, you kind of feel that the players maybe have too much of a say. And if that continues, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sarri gone by the summer. Well, I think you only have to look at 
who's you know we've already spoken about it. Who's the one player that's come in and, and almost upset the team as a in terms of their balance as well? It's Jorginho, and you know he's um, a, a fantastic player, but he's very much a Sarri golden boy as well. And you you know you're probably looking at that and thinking, you know he's brought someone in, he's completely changed the style of the team almost to fit this one player. We've got a striker who's, who's leaving or has just left in Morata, who you know can score goals. He's already showed he can score goals and. Uh, can score goals within this team and this group of players as well, and then you've got, you know, someone like Eden Hazard who, realistically, is just going to continue to get more and more pissed off at the style of football they're playing, and they can't afford to let players like that go. And ultimately, when you look at what's happening in modern day football, the the players are becoming a little bit bigger than the managers, and sometimes the clubs and. I think at certain clubs it's made a lot easier for them to do that and I think Chelsea is one of them for sure. Absolutely right. I think that we need to move on to talk about the other seven goal thriller from the from the weekend and uh, I don't often get excited about lunchtime kickoffs on a Saturday. I, I, I decided to swerve this one because I thought it would probably be a, a yeah. relatively close and uneventful game and, and then I had a look at my phone while I was out walking the dog. You were wrong. And yeah, five goals had gone in by that point <laughs> so uh, I, I, I missed quite a lot. Absolutely, and you know it's it's an interesting one. Who said Wolves don't have a striker? Um, Jota, not necessarily someone you would uh, pin all your hopes on to grab a load of goals, but a wonderful hat trick. And you know he played the perfect role of the little man up top with the big man. This time being Jimenez, who worked tirelessly all afternoon. I thought he was fantastic. The two of them were, and you know Wolves were coasting in the first half. They were given a two-goal head start, looked comfortable, and they were very much playing their game, the game that we saw towards the start of the season when they just looked comfortable adapting to life in the Premier League they took it to Leicester who to be fair to them were absolutely shocking but half time came and, and, and the whole game just came to life didn't it it did and you wonder what Claude Puel said it at half time there's been a lot said off the pitch I'm going to lose my job if you lose this game well absolutely right and and the way that Leicester came out you thought Do you know what they actually want to win this game yeah, for him yeah. they, they, they came out with a, with a new vigour with purpose and I think the goals that they scored were were both relatively decent goals as well. It was a it was a good through ball from Jamie Vardy for the Damari Gray goal. It was a good finish across the goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah, and Wolves have looked relatively comfortable defensively so far this season. They've not conceded a huge amount of goals, and that was the surprising thing. Was they they probably could have put this game to bed quite early on, and to allow Leicester back into it in the manner that they did. I actually thought Leicester might go on and win it. They had the momentum with them at that stage, and I think when the third goal went in for Leicester and, and again a very good header from Wes Morgan because there are a lot of players in that six yard box and it wasn't a, an easy ball to go over and at that point I thought three all decent point and, and I think both teams probably would have taken it and that's the most frustrating thing from Claude Puel's point of view is you've got three or four minutes after that to to get through then you've got to to, to get through added time and they just weren't able to do that it looked to me as though they were almost trying to get the next goal and go for the win and which, which seemed odd they obviously don't need to do that in terms of league positions and points and you know you only have to look at the fourth goal from Wolves Chilwell was miles out of position and Jimenez gets in behind him and there's just no need to be doing that at that stage of the game and you know Jimenez isn't the quickest and he still wasn't caught so it, you know it shows how far Chilwell was up, up the pitch but I thought it was interesting you know the the Leicester players yes they did look enthused but so did Puel you, you rarely see him get that kind of emotional on the side as well and, and that's what makes me think yeah he, he, you know he probably did say something he probably knew something before the game as well and I think you know credit to him 
I still think he's probably going to lose his job at some point. I'd be very surprised if he's there at the end of the season. And you just have to look at Wolves on the other side of it, who've had a fantastic game ultimately. They've took their chances, as I said. Jota was brilliant and cue jubilant scenes at the end. And we need to talk about the uh, <laughs> the celebrations, don't we? Nuno Espirito Santo a, with the... A turn of pace? Yeah, I was going to say the slowest sprint down a touchline I've yeah. ever seen. And then I expected him just to sort of dive into the pylon, but he just, kind, just kind of patted the head, yeah. didn't he? And uh, you, he's, you could tell he was a goalkeeper from his pace, <laughs> couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, just, he didn't... He, he, he didn't go bombing down the wing, did he? he no. Was just, you know, he was moseying back. And just after they'd gone up for a corner. And I think you probably you probably agree with the fact that he was sent off because you, you can't really do that um, if you're going to go by the law. But then the same referee was in charge <laughs> of the Liverpool-Everton game where Klopp ran onto the pitch and jumped all over Alisson before the final whistle had pitch, gone. That was properly on the pitch. Yeah, as well. and, he, and he wasn't sent off. So you just wonder whether that referee had got a ticking off for not sending Klopp off earlier in the season. Or just actually, imagine Klopp. Yeah, not again. Crying out loud. Why have I got to do this again? But fair play to him. He came out after the game and he said that he thought it was the right decision and sometimes you do get a little bit too excited. And I don't think that it should be a red card in that sort of situation. I don't think that you should. I think that there should be an allowance for emotion and, and, and celebration in the game. God knows what it's going to be like with VAR next next season. <laughs> Can you imagine if that, that had got ruled out and he's ran all the way down? I mean, genuinely, managers are going to have to think about that sort of thing, aren't they? Because they, they could be left with a huge amount of egg on their face if they do decide to, to get a little too over-exuberant in the... Uh, in the throes of celebration and then suddenly that screen lights up and sorry <laughs> Nuno back in your box speaking of excitable managers or non-managers in, the, in this case Huddersfield's first game of that David Wagner lost 3-0 to Manchester City and I think first of all we have to say that it was always going to be a tough game uh, but huge huge credit to Huddersfield for the way that they uh, or, or the fans in the club anyway the way they almost sent him off as well and I thought it was fantastic to see you know there was a lot of banners there was chanting and and it was great to see the appreciation and, and you know even Hudson as well at the end of the game said he's done a job that was nigh on impossible so to acknowledge that was fantastic however you move back to the game it was never going to be an easy first game for him and in for Manchester City coming over the hills and it did take a bit of good fortune for Manchester City to, to take the lead when Danilo's shot deflected in off Schindler and really uh, I think that was about all there was to shout about at that point and, and Huddersfield looked relatively settled in the game they did and that was despite the fact that they'd made six changes as well the lineup looked very much like it was there to try and stop Manchester City and, and I, I would agree with Mark Hudson's approach I think that as a Huddersfield fan, as a Huddersfield player, realistically, you know that you're probably not going to win that game. But actually, if you can go into it and either get a point or or just be competitive against the best side in the country, bar Liverpool, and, and, and really just try and put a performance on to lift the spirit around the club. And it looked like it was all going uh, okay from yep. that point of view. And it wasn't until the goals went in towards the start of the second half that Manchester City really started to stretch away. And at that point, I was fearful for Huddersfield. I think it was 3-0 after about 60 minutes, yep. something like that. And when you're at that point you've got half an hour left you know how ruthless Manchester City have been in recent weeks and it, it wouldn't have surprised me to see it finish 6 or 7 nil. but I thought Huddersfield dug in they rode their luck, their luck a little bit and, and I think we need to talk about the penalty incident in the first half because we've kind of glossed over that I, I think that it was an absolute stonewall penalty I don't know how Raheem Sterling's not ended up with something from that I, I would hate to think it's his reputation because it was a terrible tackle and it was it was a, it was a yellow card and, and you just look at that and that could have changed the game in terms of the, the, the scoreline and that's where Andre Mariner in particular needs to stand up and look at that decision because he was 
in a really good position. His linesman was on the same side and between them they should be able to make a much better fist of trying to get that sort of thing right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think ultimately, you know, you look at it, it's still a three no win, so you just have to you have to just go with it, don't you, sometimes? It's, yeah. it's an unfortunate one. I, I agree, but I, if the if the league title comes down to one yeah, goal, yeah. then no, then, right. then that's where... And But that's, it's not going to get sorted until next season, is it? No, it's not, but it's, it's, still, it's still a reason for frustration, and I think it's still something that, at that sort of speed, and, and <laughs> like I say, the view that they both had, yeah. it's, a, it's a criminal decision, and it's something that was glossed over, really, on the analysis, because it, it was such an easy win, but I think that Referees sometimes get away with things that they shouldn't get away with in games where the scorelines flattered one on the sides. And if that had finished nil-nil, then everyone would be talking about that that decision. And I don't think that it's fair that they're able to make mistakes and it be glossed over because of the fact that one team was better than the other. So from that point of view, VAR will be a very good thing. But I, I just hope that we don't become over-reliant on it and, and referees start to take their foot off a little bit, which it looked like he did yesterday. Do you know Martin from Wakefield? Um, I do now, yeah. <laughs> and I could not believe it at the time that this had actually gone on. I mean, to send somebody into the stands <laughs> is brazen enough. To make them pick their way over five or six people to get to this this new Huddersfield manager, the, uh, the Borussia Dortmund second team manager who's going to come in and revitalise the club, only to be told... Not only is it not the <laughs> the new Huddersfield manager, it's a Manchester City fan yep. sat in with the Huddersfield fans. His name's Martin, and he's from Wakefield. It, imagine watching it like I was without any sound on. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea what was going on. I'd assumed it was some sort of manager that had been linked until obviously after the game when I've seen it was Martin from Wakefield. And in fairness, it's not a bad shout. He he looks oh, yeah, a he, lo- he looks a he lot does. like him. Um, but can you imagine that being your job? So you're sent to the John Smiths <laughs> on a Sunday and you get your briefing from your boss pre-game, right? What do you want me to do? There's, there's, there's 20 odd thousand people in here. I want you to spot this guy. It's Just like a mass game of Where's Wally, like a, like a game of German Where's Wally. And um, I, I just hope they do it on every, every every single game now going forward. If there's, if there's a new manager link, there needs to be someone in that crowd looking out for who it is. It was like um, a work experience joke. <laughs> oh, go and have a, go and have a word with that guy on the, on the sixth <laughs> row up there and see if you can uh, see if you can get a good interview out of him. That would have been good actually if it, if it was just some sort of collusion from the people working for Sky Sports going let's 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 get him let's get him let's tell him he's up there. Yeah, I'm taking it tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm taking it tomorrow. Do you know what that that new German manager? He's not got much of an accent, has he? <laughs> How long has he been over here? <laughs> anyway, Newcastle United, a big win for them, three 0 against Cardiff City. And where on earth did this come from? Um, Cardiff's defensive deficiencies. I well, think yeah. I um, I'd love to say that Newcastle completely deserved to win this game three nil. But when you score three goals and two of them come from a defender not really known for his goal scoring exploits, and do you know what? When I was watching this goal on match the day on Saturday night, it made me think of a certain Alan Hudson scoring against Birmingham City. The uh, that it was almost like the Red Sea parted in front of me. Didn't necessarily do a huge amount, but it looked brilliant. Have you heard the rumours? Go on. Swiss Cafu, I believe is now known <laughs> as. The Swiss Cafu. And that, it's funny you say about that first goal. It's about the only clip I matched of the day for the first half, I think, which 
probably showed how cagey this one was, but the second half came to life. And I think for Newcastle again, Fabian Shaw with the second and the late third added by Iosi Perez with, with virtually the last kick of the game, as you say, probably did flatter them. And first time scored three this season, but they did dominate the stats. Ultimately, they had more of the ball, more attempts on goal, and just as crucially, a clean sheet as well. And on that note, Cardiff, despite signing the prolific Umanias and him coming straight in, created very little and were dominated by a confident and resolute Newcastle defence. Yeah, and I think Cardiff needed to do something in the transfer market. Obviously, they've gone out there and they've signed a striker from Nantes for nearly £20 million, and he's also called Salah. Let's see if he can have a similar impact on the Premier League as his namesake. Obviously, that's yet to be seen. The issue from a Cardiff point of view is the the lack of chances created in this game. You're going up against a side who are low on confidence, who are on one of the worst runs that they've been on in, in quite some time, and they're not great at home anyway Newcastle they've 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 struggled to pick points up at home all season and I would have thought Warnock could have been able to get his team far more up for this game than they looked on Saturday and you don't know whether it's energy levels whether it's just a case of getting to to, to that stage in the season where fresh faces are needed or a few tweaks are needed here and there but they just didn't seem to create a huge amount and that's the most frustrating thing as a Cardiff well if if you're a Cardiff City fan and you make that trip from Wales up to Newcastle to watch your team, you don't want to go there and see your team turned over so easily. Absolutely. Well, that's all for part one. Join us after the break for a trip to the Championship. Should have gone to Specsavers, Charlie, because I'll tell you what, he's not offside. Well, he's absolutely bang in line, not offside. Well, maybe you should go also then, Jeff, because uh, you couldn't see driving home the other night because you've, you don't even wear your glasses in, in uh, TV in case you get, you get slagged off. So you just, uh, you just stick to Specsavers and I'll do the game. Welcome back to part two of the Sweep podcast and we are taking that trip to the championship and what a trip it was. We'll get on to that in a minute. Another big weekend though and it started with Norwich's impressive win on Friday night when they dispatched Birmingham City 3-1 who are now winless in five with their form dropping off. Norwich likewise were in a poor run of form before this game which made the win all the more important. They have managed to drag themselves in the top two still having not lost much distance through this tough run and sit just a point off top given Leeds United's third defeat in four as they went down 2-1 at the bet 365 as Stoke recorded their first win under Nathan Jones and is there any consolation in the last minute that gave them anything to be remotely positive about despite sitting top of the league there's some worries that they may be crumbling we shall see whether Inspector Bielsa <laughs> and his merry band of spies can hold on to that top two position. We will indeed. And, you know, we said Norwich got back in the top two and that was due to Sheffield United losing 1-0 at the Liberty Stadium as Graham Potter's Swansea continued to quietly climb the table and now sit ninth. Level on points of Swansea is Hull City who've been flying, but they were stopped in their tracks by Aston Villa at Villa Park. And I would say that's about as positive I can be um, about Villa at the minute really they halted an in-form Hull City which is not really how I expected our season to be going nearing the end of January well you say that but Hull have won six on the bounce they went into that game with the best form pretty much anywhere in yep. the country and um, I, I think to come back from 2-0 down you, you've that, got to be well, that, that's it I mean that is the, the positive I guess you know they they eased into a 2-0 lead um, James Chester got one back just before half time which seemed to galvanise the team and Tammy Abraham really has ever grabbed the equaliser but it, it's just stupid mistakes that keep costing Villa they need to cut them out and I think ultimately then you know we'll probably be fine and, and I'll be honest if we 
can't beat Ipswich this weekend. I'm done. I'm done with it all. <laughs> I won't be back next week. That that's me done. Still fancy Villa for a late playoff surge. Yeah, I do. I think we we should still have enough quality. Really, um, we just need to get back on on top of things again. I think, you know, I said last week I, I really don't want us to be a, a Grealish one man team, but he's so important for us in the way that we play, and and he's due back at some point soon. Um, but speaking of the Tractor Boys, they went down 2-0 against Blackburn at Ewood Park, but fortunately for them, the sides above them also lost. Reading lost 2-1 away at Derby, Rotherham lost 4-2 at home to Brentford in a thriller, which saw Brentford 5 unbeaten after slumping following Dean Smith's departure, and Wigan also lost 1-0 away at Sheffield Wednesday, and, and one more team above it, which are yet to play, as Bolton take on West Brom this Monday evening. What an exciting Monday night football. I know, right? Um, that would be an opportunity for West Brom, though, to win go third and, and they were let off this weekend in the playoffs with Middlesbrough failing to beat Millwall to leapfrog them they could only manage a draw and that was thanks to a 90th minute penalty to grab a disappointing point finally Martin O'Neill's reign as Nottingham Forest manager started with a 1-0 home defeat to Bristol City in positive news though it looks like he wants Roy Keane to come in which should provide some entertainment I would say he went down a storm in the national team and now we're going to get him every week Roy Keane the gift that keeps on giving. And I meant to mention, actually, when you're going through and rounding up the championship, the uh, the Norwich result from Friday night. Obviously, uh, Norwich were at home, so when you play at home, you produce a, a, a programme, don't you, for yeah. your fans to buy. And, and normally, you tend to have a couple of interviews in there with the players. And one of the interviews in there caught my eye this week, and uh, it was <laughs> it was an interview with Norwich City winger Onel Hernandez. And um, this is glorious, by the way. Hernandez was asked, what about the city of Norwich do you like? His response was, I love the city. I like that I live next door to an Argos and the stadium (laughs) and that there's a Morrison's next door so I can do my food shopping. Now, I've never seen an Argos before in my life. I walked inside and saw the catalogue with things you can order. You can order bikes and TVs. We don't have this in Germany. Argos has everything, and I've never seen this in my life before. When I need something, I buy it from Argos. Has he never heard of the internet? I, I, I don't really anything know. Anything on the internet, I don't understand. I, it's, but it's almost like Onel Hernandez believes that there's only one Argos in the country as well, and it's the one in Norwich. <laughs> He's like, I'm so lucky to live next to this Argos, it's amazing. Do you reckon he scopes stuff out on away trips as well? Do you reckon he buys shinnies and stuff Greg's. from Maybe, from yeah. Maybe, yeah. Do you re- I, I, I wonder if he knows all the staff. Do you reckon he, he's got one of those... Little pencils. Do you think he actually fills those in, or whether he does click and collect? I or? don't know. I mean, the novelty of it would. I mean, when you take him in there and say this is a British tradition. Can you imagine if he ever moved a pencil? Yeah. Can you, can you imagine if he ever moved to London? His mind would just be blown. There's everything. There's there's food shops everywhere. There's there's coffee shops. The lot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm more worried about his family and friends who come over to visit. Oh, my God, I'm going to take you to Argos. <laughs> What's Argos? It's the best place ever. <laughs> Just you wait. Uh, anyway, talking of the continent, we need to go to Portugal because it was business as usual at the top of the Portuguese Primera Liga. Our boys got off to a blistering start this weekend as they beat Morirense Good. 2-1. Nanny grabbed the opener from a header, oddly, really, thinking of Nanny just yep. after the three-minute mark. And... They absolutely battered the opposition from there. They piled on the pressure until the lead was eventually doubled 20 minutes later from a Bruno Fernandes thunderbolt. It's yet to be seen whether they can hold on to Bruno Fernandes throughout the window. He would be a fantastic signing for a top six side in the Premier League. Yeah. 
Uh, the goal was controversial as there was an offside in the build-up and uh, even then it looked like the ball had crossed the line for a corner before being swung back into the mixer, eventually falling to the feet of the goal scorer. Sporting could and probably should have stretched the lead when our mate Big Bad Bazdos squandered a sitter before the visitors pulled one back on the break. This also came in controversial fashion as Sporting were denied a penalty and then the resulting break led to the goal. VAR was used to confirm the ref made the right decision though. The system was then used to rule out a late Rafinha strike which would have ensured Sporting stretched the lead and won comfortably. They've got it everywhere apart from England and you just know next year that we're going to be talking about this week in, week out. First league. First league to use it in Portugal. Absolutely right. I was about to say I've got a fact for you and and you've just kind of stolen my thunder a little bit. But I have got a fact and it's a pretty good one. Um, After... English manager Malcolm Allison won the domestic double in 1982. Sporting went on an 18-year league title drought until the year 2000 when they won the title on the last day of the season under former player Giuseppe Matarazzi. Does that name ring any bells? It certainly does, and I would suspect it's probably related because I don't know any other Matarazzi's. I don't know any Matarazzi's either. He is indeed related. He is the father of former Italy defender and a high-profile headbutt victim Marco wow anyway next up for the Lions is a midweek trip to Vittoria Setubal who are in a dire and a form so fingers crossed for the win has anything else caught your eye this weekend Michael I think there's at least one thing you wanted to mention uh, yeah yeah I mean I sent this to you last night and I'm going to tweet this out on our account and obviously have a look at that on, on Twitter we are at the sweeper pod we so are. search that because this is glorious on Saturday Charlton fans were uh <laughs> they they were celebrating their 93rd minute winner um, they'd just scored against Accrington Stanley in the last throws of the game a few of the fans got a little bit excited went onto the pitch to celebrate with the players now one of them doesn't have appropriate footwear on it, and oh you can no. guess what happened next not only did he go flying in doing so his feet went from under him <laughs> and he two footed one of his Charlton heroes right in the family jewels it's one of the best football clips I've seen in terms of celebrations because this Charlton player doesn't just go down. He goes down for a while. He he's, uh, yeah, he's really struggling. So check that out. Have a look at our Twitter feed for that one this week. It's and, hilarious. And for me, I've got to move to Italy where Roma beat Torino 3-2 in a thriller on Saturday evening. And the hero was Stefan Alshuari. And I want to know what your thoughts are on how he might have celebrated. Do you know what? I imagine... He would have been out and about in a club, or what's he, what's he been up to? Yeah, you know, sort you'd of imagine a, a, a big fancy nightclub, champagne sparklers a lot. and sparklers. Yeah, you know, them sparklers that you get in champagne bottles. Right, okay. Not a sort of place we go. <laughs> uh, they don't have them in Weatherspoons. Um, you know, possibly even buying something necessary and elaborate. No, he actually came to our fine nation. He came to London to watch the snooker. Did he? Yeah, massive snooker fan. Came over to watch the Masters at Ali Pali. Absolutely glorious. It was it was contested by his two favourite players as well, Judd Trump and, and Rocket Ronnie O'Sullivan. And there's a fantastic picture where he's been given some table side access while Trump's warming up, and he looks like he's trying to be <laughs> as quiet and still as possible. Bless his little cotton socks. Snooker yeah. and Stephen Alshuari. I never thought I would hear the day. Alshuari, snooker loopy nuts is he? Anyway, join us after this short break when we're going to take a trip to the south coast. I've got to get my head around this one, actually. Which would you rather fight, a one-horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? Uh, I'd rather fight a big duck. 
Welcome back to the third part of the Sweeper podcast and as you can probably tell from the enthusiasm in my voice we are going to St Mary's to discuss a well-deserved 2-1 home victory for Southampton over Everton. Well-deserved indeed and a great game this, very open, both sides full of attacking football on show and as you say the, the, the most crucial thing to take from it is three points for Southampton and the now prolific James Ward-Prowse of the open and, and probably the goal of the game as well you'd say. I'd Definitely say it was the goal of the game. And it was a wonderful strike and it's just nice to see him getting a bit of a run in the team. We've always known that he's got the technical ability to perform in the Premier League but his work rate and his fitness have, have been questioned at times and I don't necessarily think that's, that's down to him not working hard enough. I think it's just the the type of player he is. He's very small. He's not necessarily known for his tenacious tackling but yeah. I think that that's something that the Hutch has brought to his game. He's he's probably spoken to him about what it's going to take to 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 hold down a position in that midfield, and he was pushed a little bit further up in this game, and I think that probably suits him better. There's a lack of defensive responsibility, but to win the ball in the manner that he did, and to go on that run and then and then produce a strike to beat Jordan Pitford from that distance, it's it's got to be a good one, and and yeah, I think he's been very impressive of late. I agree. I've always been a huge fan of him since we were watching him as a. Eight, seventeen, eighteen-year-old when he's coming through, yeah. and uh, he, he's always shown such fantastic technique. And I think he's—it's it, it, been a very frustrating watch at the start of his career with Southampton, really, because, as you say, you, you knew he could do it, but he just couldn't quite push himself on. I think probably just from having regular football as well, that's probably made as big an impact as a manager as well. But I think you know we we look at his goal against the second goal, which was maybe not so spectacular no it was Everton have got uh, an absolute knack of scoring own goals against Southampton and this is the latest of of, of a comedic bunch and it's a good one wasn't yeah it? Luca Dean's been brilliant this season and I think that it was probably just the recovery run that he made to 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 get back to where Nathan Redmond was that that was the undoing eventually because it was just his stride that took the ball into his path yep. and and obviously he kind of toe-poked it past Pickford from about 20 yards out. And you don't see it very often, but it was uh, it was spectacular from that point of view. I was very pleased for Nathan Redmond as well because I think he deserved something from this game. He was a constant menace to the Everton defence. He got in behind a lot and created a couple of chances in the first half which, which did just didn't sort of sit right for him. There was one that hit the outside of the post. And after his penalty disappointment midweek, he could have let that affect him. Yeah. But he didn't. He came out and, and he played the game with a smile on his face and... He deserves the plaudits that he's getting as well. He's been given a new lease of life under Hazen Hootel and I think that it's it's great to see a nucleus of, of young English players within the Southampton side as well. I think the biggest question mark for that second goal was why Redmond seemed to have 10 yards around him of space right in the middle of the, of the pitch and I'm not really sure where the defence were. I don't know whether they're trying to play him offside or, or whether they just there was just a lack of communication. Defensively, I, I I watched the whole game and defensively Everton just just didn't look very good. They were they were quite far away from one another positionally. Michael Keane was often left isolated and he's not the quickest. And it, it, like I say, it happened in the first half. Redmond had a one on one where he where he easily outstripped Keane for pace. And at that point, you kind of think. From Marco Silva's point of view, why is he not watching that and thinking of either having a word with Garner Gay to get him to drop back a further five yards or alternatively making a change which is going to give a little bit more protection for that back four because it was the pace that Southampton had on Saturday which caused so many problems for Everton and we need to talk about them because they, they had a, a relatively good start to the season. They were looking up. They, they sat in sixth or seventh for a little while and I think everyone thought with the money that they'd spent and the tactics that, that, that Marco Silva brought in, the exciting football that, that he does try and play, that they'd really turned a corner. And then the last few weeks, they've they've really gone off the boil. I think the 
the the results against Bournemouth on Sunday wasn't the worst. Obviously, they came out with a with a two 0 win, but the the performance in that game as well wasn't wasn't brilliant. They looked bereft of confidence, to be honest. I think you know the. Seamus Coleman's come out and said the players need to stand up and sort it out. The owners have said things that need to improve as well. And, you know, Marcus Silva's been backed, but we know we've watched football for a long time now. There's only so long that pressure keeps away from your door as a Premier League manager. And for for the sake of the club, you know, I hope they sort it sooner rather than later because it, they they can't afford to be going in, in, in a downwards direction. They have to be looking up and they're the ones that, ultimately with the money spent and and the, the signers have made and, and and the bigger picture, you know, the history and the size of the club as well, they're the ones that need to be pushing for that top six and even if not higher over the next kind of five years or so and really every time anything looks positive for them over the last five years looking back, it's kind of gone downhill. Yeah, and they did come back into it but it was too little too late. It was a, a well-taken goal from Gilfie Sigurdsson and then after that, I'm bit of injury time. Well, I'm convinced that the uh, the referee Graham Scott was listening to the Sweeper Podcast Christmas Special <laughs> Room 101, um, where I talked about the fact that the correct amount of injury time is never allotted at the end of the game. So he added four minutes on and played eight minutes. So uh, what was your reaction as the, as the fan on the other side of it? Were you thinking right okay fair enough can't really say anything or are you screaming absolutely not i had my slipper in my hat took my slipper off while i was watching the game in anticipate in anticipation of hurling it across the room when the <laughs> inevitable equalizer went in in the last seconds so um yeah i think they probably shaved about a year off my life watching that game on saturday speaking of last minute goals fulham one tottenham two and how's your look if you are fulham and they were definitely good value for a point as well. Ryan Barbel coming in for a, a start following his move last week is key for some of their early play. He, Mitch Rich and Sherlock all look lively. However, despite that pressure they were piling on, the goal came from a stroke of luck, which was about the only look they did get all afternoon. And that's when the ball bounces in off Lorente from Serie's corner. And he'll be absolutely gutted because he's coming for some negativ- negativity already with his inclusion. He's on the wrong end of a Fulham ball in... in you know, rather than the right end of his own teams, and that was frustrating for him, and it's frustrating to watch him for the rest of the game from there. Really, it was, yeah, and I, I, I did feel sorry for for him, and 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 eventually for Fulham because Spurs did eventually work their way into the game, and I think later in the first half, obviously they 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 realised that actually there was a team there that that they could quite easily exploit, and it was a good ball in from Christian Eriksen to Deli Ali for the header and it, it was very reminiscent of the goal that he scored in the World Cup against Sweden the second goal there was just a lofted ball over the top not entirely sure what Dennis Adoy was doing he had his hands out ready presumably for the goalkeeper to come and clear him out and take the ball but the, the goalkeeper stayed on the line and this is something that happened right at the end of the game as well and, and Fulham will be kicking themselves because they had opportunities throughout the game where they could have got something from it and, and then what do you do in the last five minutes do you stick or do you twist yeah, absolutely, and you know we speak of Lorente. It's, it's going to be—he's not the most mobile, and and he possibly makes the team play a, a little bit more direct style as well, which doesn't really suit them. And I think it's—it's going to be interesting to see whether they stick with these tactics going into the next three games, all at Wembley, all against beatable sides as well. Ali possibly injured as well after coming off of the hamstring injury, so it is—it's it's a key part of the season for them. Really, they should be picking up nine points from the next three games, and I think if they don't, that you know. That they're going to have to ask themselves big questions. And also, they've got the League Cup semi-final on Thursday to look forward to against Chelsea. They've got a 1-0 lead, but they've got, like you say, they've got Deli Ali's probably going to be out. Obviously, Hongmin Son's going to be missing. Harry Kane's not going to be able to play. It's not 
entirely been decided whether Lucas Moura is going to be fit enough either. So they're going to go into that that game with with a skeleton side really, and if they can progress, that'll give them massive confidence to to go on and really do something between now and the end of the season. But they showed a huge amount of determination to get the win in this game. I switched the game off actually. There was about thirty seconds left, and I decided that there was nothing that was going to happen. Fulham had got a free kick in. Tottenham's half and I thought well they're just going to play it into the corner and wind the clock down and they'll take a point all day long against the top three side and then I uh, I saw on the news that Tottenham had won yes the winner came in virtually the last kick of the game when the impressive Harry Winks nods home to grab all three points and it was a real blow to Fulham who, who you know they would have been more than happy with the point and, and good value for it as well but they sit seven points adrift of safety now and likewise for Spurs you know the three points was massive keeps them away from the chasing pack behind them Speaking of which, Manchester United 2, Brighton 1. And it's another win for Manchester yep. United. They were possibly made to work a little bit harder for it this week, but a win's a win and they'll take it, especially with Arsenal picking up points against Chelsea as well. And how desperate we were to see Pogba miss his penalty. <laughs> um, I mean, the run-up, I still can't get my head around it. They were talking about it and analysing it on television over the weekend and they said, actually, they feel like it gives the, the goalkeeper more of an opportunity to save it because... Is quite telegraphed as to the way that Pogba's going to go. The issue is, if he hits it with that much yeah. power and accuracy, it's it's almost impossible to stop. It was a good pen. It was a good pen, and you know it's no less than Manchester United deserved at that point. They're in control of the game as they should be, really, in these games at Old Trafford. And then doubling the lead through Rashford, and you know some goals, and he started the move with a with a great touch, and the finish was superb. And he's been for me the the player of the year so far in the Premier League from 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 the start of January. Right. Um, literally the last sort of two or three weeks yeah. on the Solskjaer, he, he's been somebody who's really shown what he's worth when he's played through the middle and when he's played in his proper position. And I just hope that he keeps him there between now and the end of the season because what an exciting talent that could be if if we as an England side have Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford all playing in the positions that they should be week in week out then we could be in for a very very exciting summer yeah you're right and it was interesting what Solskjaer said about Rashford you know it's a you'd imagine it's a completely different approach to Mourinho he just basically said just keep going you know it'll come just just um, relax and and play your game and and it's eventually going to come and you know it's, it's clearly benefiting these players having someone like that there and you know they need to just let the players go and express themselves and I, I wonder if Solskjaer is talking his way and, and acting his way into the job more and more so every week well it's going to be difficult to ignore him if, if they yeah. continue at this pace I know that they're not going to win every game between now and the end of the season but 7 out of 7 the best start for any Manchester United manager in history yep. Um, I, I think that you can't really rule him out at this stage because if they finish top four, they were eight or nine points adrift at the start yep. of the season. Uh, sorry, at the at the start of his reign there, and to be able to catch the teams up around them so quickly, playing the type of football that they're playing, is they're going to be another opportunity for him at any stage in his career to get that job. I think he's he's been given an audition and he, and he's performed brilliantly. So I I, I just I just wonder whether <laughs> whether they've set him a target or whether it was just to come in and try and stabilise after Mourinho's departure yeah definitely an interesting one to keep our eye on and, and quick word on Brighton they did manage to get themselves back in the game through Pascal Gross however that was pretty much their only real chance of the afternoon other than a Glenn Murray one a little bit earlier on and it was always going to be tough going there and getting something uh, I think ultimately for them they have to look at the game this weekend where they host West Brom in the FA Cup yeah I would love to see Brighton progress in the FA Cup they're one of those sides that aren't going to go down they're not going to get into Europe so have it, have a, have a good go play your, play your big guns and 
given the fact that the game is on a weekend, it gives them the opportunity not to have to rest players against uh, against West Brom ahead of the next Premier League game. Back down to the south coast where Bournemouth beat West Ham 2-0. Big win for them. You know, they've been out of sorts for probably the last couple of months. I look great in this one. Easily the better side. And, you know, they were unlucky not to be ahead early on in the game as they were... They, they created a lot of chances and they were through the usual suspects as well. You've got Wilson, King, Brooks and Fraser who all look to be on form, all look to be on it this weekend and I think the frustration would have been that, that neither side could really break the deadlock and you know it, it, it probably should have been, it certainly could have been West Ham who took the lead. Yeah, I, I think that when you looked at this game you expected West Ham to go there and win. I think that Bournemouth have struggled massively in recent weeks and the way that West Ham have created chances you, you would have expected them to at least been able to trouble Bournemouth from that point of view and it was a completely different story in the second half obviously Eddie Howe made changes and the the, the freshening up of that Bournemouth side made for a, a much more one-sided contest in the second 45 minutes what about the big miss from the big man yeah I mean t- to miss from a yard out kind of tells you everything that you need to know about Andy Carroll and the fact that he's been linked with a move to Tottenham this morning just makes Has me uh, scratch my head even Jeez. more apparently Tottenham are going to bid £2 million for him to, to basically plug the gap that, that's been left right. by those strikers who were who are currently missing through through injury and international duty. I, I just can't believe that that's going to happen, but in football you just never know. Quality did come just shortly after when Callum Wilson fired an absolute rocket, a wonderful finish. You know, it's, it, it couldn't have sat up any nicer for him, but you've still got to finish there, haven't you? Of course you have, and he came out after the game and said that his dream is to play in the Champions League, and all the time that he is able to deliver things like he did on Saturday on the pitch then you can't really deny that that, that he would be good enough at that level I know that he's probably had his most prolific season in the Premier League and, and you you wouldn't really want him to leave Bournemouth at this stage you would hope that if he is going to go then he would give them until the summer and, and, and give it a proper go but he's been linked with Chelsea he's been linked with West Ham and it wouldn't surprise you to see him move on in the summer Absolutely I think a clean sheet was very important for Bournemouth and you know, they got a bit of the rubber of the green as well, and, and and the late second put the gloss on the win. And I think West Ham, you know, they'll move on on another day. They they could have got something for, from this game, and they no doubt missed Arnautovic, who was dropped as his mind was elsewhere. Probably a nice Caribbean island that will be purchasing for his retirement in a few years, I would imagine. Yeah, it looks like he has gone, doesn't it? And yeah. we've got one game to go, and that was the absolute thriller down at Vicarage Road between Watford and Burnley. Would you look at Burnley? Turning into the most boring team in the league again. And I'll tell you what, they'll absolutely take it. Another clean sheet, another impressive performance from Tom Heaton in goal, and crucially, another point. And... I think that we need to talk about your fancy league team choices this week. Yeah, I put Deeney in. I thought Watford at home against Leaky Burnley, it's going to be a goal fest, and it just wasn't, was it? It was nil-nil. Watford at their Watfordy best, and you know, c- couldn't break down the newly reformed Burnley circa 2000, uh, 2017-2018. And I think that, obviously, there were a few chances, weren't there, in the second half. I'm not even sure you can call them chances. Maybe half chances, and Ben Foster did alright in the Watford goal, and, and the biggest chance of the game was actually slotted home by Chris Wood in injury time, which was ruled out for offside. It was marginal. I think it was probably onside, yeah, if you look again. We talk about VAR. It's not even here yet, but already we are, uh, we're talking about the impact that, that it could have and maybe the impact that it did have in midweek. Yeah, I mean, it's having an impact. Um, it, it's becoming frustrating watching football pundits at times. And, you know, we, we were separate watching the Southampton game last week with Derby. Plenty of VAR action. Uh, but there's also Danny Murphy on co-coms and he was cold, uh, wasn't he? Uh, 
yeah. Again, for, you know, if you're a regular listener, you will have heard us berate Danny Murphy for moaning about having a great job but being cold. But anyway, I thought after watching Match of the Day and seeing him on there, I thought his head was going to explode on Saturday <laughs> when the VAR came up again and, you know, would something have been sorted? It, pundits need to have a better understanding and we were talking about how we can do that and whether that's having a referee in the studio and I, I, I'm not sure that necessarily works because you've got you know, if you've, if you've got a referee there, it's still an opinion as well. And uh, I think all the while it's still an opinion, there's always going to be an argument between right and wrong. Maybe we should just ship Danny Murphy off to Doha to be with Keys and Gray. That could be his new career. He'd be nice and warm. He wouldn't have to talk about VAR and nobody would have to see him on their screen. Let's ship him off with Arnautovic. Anyway, join us after this short break where we're going to be getting to the quiz. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and... Quiz. <laughs> I want to get into it, man, you know, like a Where's machine man, yeah. moving, doing it, you know, yeah. can I count it off? Okay. One, two, three, four. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Sweeper podcast, and before we get to the quiz, Mitch is going to give you a little roundup of the methods that you can use to get in contact with us. As Mike said earlier, you can get us on Twitter at the Sweep Pod, Instagram and Facebook, search the Sweeper podcast, and email us at thesweeppodcast at gmail.com. And while we're on it, get on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. We want to see the reviews piling in, and the five-star ratings would be much appreciated. And whilst we're on it as well, you can get us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Deezer, Audioboom, Anchor, Google Podcast, YouTube, the lot, absolutely everywhere. We are all over it. Anyway, that's enough of that. It's time to get on to the quiz. Mitch had his best performance, possibly in the Sweeper podcast history last week. Four points out of five. And uh, I'm back in the hot seat with um, a, a slender six-point lead now. Yes, it is slender indeed. I think there might be some tough ones in here, actually. I said earlier I had not a huge amount of time to prepare this quiz. There's definitely gettable ones and maybe gettable ones. But we shall see. We are going to the Blockbusters theme, as ever. B is for birds. How many current Premier League clubs have birds on their club crest? I... Do not know. No? <laughs> no. Um, Crystal Palace has probably got an eagle on their badge. Um, Correct. Oh, I've got no idea, Mitch. That's difficult. Just I mean, hazard a guess. I'm going to have four. Incorrect. It was six. Funny that. <laughs> Brighton have got a seagull. Burnley have got a stork. Cardiff have got a bluebird. Crystal Palace an eagle. Liverpool, live, live bird. bird. Tottenham Hotspur. Cockerel, big old cock. Uh, G is for goal difference. Which club have got the worst all-time goal difference in the Premier League? All time. Uh, the worst. So it's going to be a team who've been in there for a while, isn't it? It's, um, it's someone who's pretty crap. I'm, yeah, it's, it better not be Southampton. Now you've said that. Um, I'll tell you, it's not the that. worst team in Premier League history. So are we talking? Th- th- the the they conceded the, the most. Com- oh, so they could have been in there for one season. Uh, no, I don't think it works like that. Right. Okay. Fine. Um, so it's a, a minus x amount of goals. Right. Okay. Uh, the worst I will go for a team that's been in there for a decent stretch, conceded lots of goals. Let's go with West Ham United. Sunderland. Ah, right, okay. With minus 292 goals, scored 612 and conceded 904. 
difficult one, that one. It was a difficult one. I is for Italians. Four Italians have scored a Premier League hat-trick. Name at least three, and I'll give you an extra guess. Right, okay. Um, uh, Not a huge amount of Italian players. No, you're right. Premier League hat-tricks, Italians. Paolo Di Canio? He's incorrect, so that's why I've given you the right. extra guess. Fantastic. Um, no, I'm... Gianfranco Zola. Correct. Um Was there another one that played for Chelsea? I'll give you that I don't think clue. I don't think I'm I don't think Balotelli ever scored a hat trick. Um another one he played for Chelsea. Yeah. Uh Viali? Yep. Should just need one more. Yeah, it's gonna be really, it's gonna be outrageously difficult though, isn't two. it? There's two. you've got choice of two. Um I will go no, he never. St- I, I was I was on the verge of going for Graziano Pella, but he never scored a hat trick for Southampton. Handsome though he was. Yeah, he still is very handsome. Um, I'm Italian, rich. Italian, Italian are really, really struggling. Um, Just have a stab. Massimo Macaroni. Incorrect. He did play for Middlesbrough though. The Silver Fox. Ravanelli. Ravanelli and Balotelli. Oh no! Yeah, Balotelli. It's got a Premier League hat trick. Yeah, you know when City win like six 0 at home against Hull or something. Should have known. Did they? he not score a hat trick when he shouldered one in on the line against Norwich City? I yeah. think that was uh, probably right. Fifty-fifty. S is for shots. Who has had the most shots this season? Out Harry Kane and Mo Salah. Harry Kane is correct. Seventy-seven. Salah seventy-four. Can you tell me who top is? They're second and third. Oh, are they? Yeah. Uh, top of the shop in the Premier League will be uh, Eden Hazard. Mitrovic. Is it? No. Mitrovic. Shocker. F is for foreign. Before Sergio Aguero crept into the top ten all-time goal scorers in the Premier League this season, who was the only other foreign player in the top ten before this? Oh, good question. Very good question. Top ten all-time Premier League. Yeah. Um. Robin van Persie. Incorrect. You're gonna kick yourself. Gone. Thierry. Oh Jesus Christ! It's fifth on the list. I think Robin van Persie was next though, just outside. I don't think of Henri. I, I don't think of Henri as foreign anymore. No, no, he's he's as English as they come. <laughs> he's, he's been in this country a long time. Well, that was that was woeful. Fortunately, he's still seven points ahead. So yeah. Even if I was to get five next week, which I would imagine I'll get one, because the questions will probably be fairly difficult. Um. Well, yeah, we'll see about that. I think that that in the uh, in the aim of having some sort of competitive element to the quiz, it's good to to freshen them up every now and again. We do also need to give a quick update on the uh, the old Richarlison bet for this week. Didn't score, did he? No, he definitely didn't score, and, and we even had Eddie Lee getting in touch with us as well, didn't we? And I think, to be fair, you were not very confident, were you, of Southampton this weekend? I don't think either of us were confident, and uh, <laughs> Eddie... <laughs> no one wanted to win, Exactly. In, in From that point of view, Eddie's won the battle, but Southampton won the war. And on that note, we're off. Goodbye.
favourite breakfast cereal? Well, back in the day, I used to promote a breakfast cereal called Sporties, so I would have, would have said that. Don't really have cereal too much, but if I was going to go for one, I'd go for crunchy nut cornflakes. Have some of that.